and welcome to CBI's BizCast. I'm Alex Page Hatley. And I'm Shannon King, and uh, this is our holiday mailbag episode. Yes, I'm so excited about this episode because we're joined by one of my favorite people at CBIA, our HR counsel, Mark Sorcher. Mark, thanks for joining us. Thank you. I'll take that for what it's worth. I get great calls from employers, so I don't have to make up too many tales. <laughs> That's good. So we asked members of ours to send in their questions for you um, for this mailbag episode. So the first question uh, we got from a member is, uh, what determines if a position is salary or hourly exempt or non-exempt? Okay, uh, that's a common question that comes up. Uh, it, it falls into the category of what I call simple questions, difficult answers. Um, exempt, non-exempt status is not based on the preference of an employer or an employee. Um, it, it's really set based on some fairly detailed guidelines in, in state and federal law and regulations. Uh, the, way, the way I like to suggest the company approach that question is to start by assuming that everyone is non-exempt, which means they're entitled to overtime if they work more than 40 hours, and then peel off individuals one by one to examine whether they meet the particular criteria for exempt status. To be exempt from overtime, you have to be paid a certain minimum threshold salary and you have to be paid on a salaried basis rather than hourly. And then that would meet the what's called the, the salary test and then there's a duties test. The job responsibilities have to fall into one of three basic uh, categories of responsibilities. They're commonly referred to as the exempt, administrative, or professional exemptions. And, and each has some detailed explanations and definition for uh, who falls into those categories. Uh, the executive exemption is populated by people who have supervisory responsibility over at least two people. The administrative exemption is people who are administering the business, helping to run the business as compared to producing a product or delivering a service to customers or clients. And then the professional category is generally populated by people with advanced degrees that are being used on the job, such as an accountant, an engineer, an attorney, uh, and, and people in those uh, categories. So um, it's uh, permissible to take an exempt employee, someone who qualifies for exempt status, and treat them as non-exempt. In other words, pay them hourly and only pay them for time actually worked, but you can't go in the reverse. You can't take someone who only qualifies for non-exempt status and, and say, well, we'll give you a salary and therefore you'll be exempt from overtime. So you can't go in that direction. Got it. If, you know, obviously this is a really complicated issue where if maybe there's some more digging people want to do, where can they get some more information? Uh, they can uh, dial 860-244-1. 900 and call me and I will uh, send them as much literature on the subject as they want. Both the state and the federal labor departments have some uh, very good information that is fairly readable, uh, but it, it can help uh, guide a company through that determination. And, and by the way, as of January 1st, uh, 2020, the federal government is revising its overtime guidelines for the uh, salary threshold test which uh, is, has been dramatically outdated for many, many years. The number hadn't changed in a long time. The required salary threshold under federal law has been $455 a week, which is in a $24,000, $25,000 a year range. And, and as long as an employee was paid that amount and they met the duties test, they could be exempt. 
there are very few, if any, people paid at that low amount who would qualify for uh, the exemption. Uh, so that, that number is uh, increasing to $684 a week, uh, the equivalent of $35,568 per year. So a more contemporary number that's, that's more suitable uh, for today's economy. Uh, but just paying that amount doesn't make the person exempt. They still have to satisfy the, uh, the duties test. You know, with everything going on in the political world right now, I think tensions are really high. There might be some discussion at the office. <laughs> yeah, especially if there's a TV on or if someone is catching it on their computer, uh, the impeachment hearings. Or certain articles of clothing that may be hanging on a hat hook yes. to reflect their political affiliation. Oh, sure. sure. Oh, sure. What are some of the guidelines that people should follow as far as political discussion in the office? Well, that, that question has come up actually years ago, but much more so recently, uh, because the the very polarized political landscape has uh, often triggered some some rather contentious conversations, uh, if you can call them conversations, uh, that. Uh, can, can be disruptive in the workplace. Um, so the question has come up, can an employer forbid political conversation in the workplace? Interestingly, there's no federal law nor state law, except for a few states, but not Connecticut, that protects employees' rights to express their opinions on, on political issues. Now, that may prompt an employee to push back and say, well, what happened to the First Amendment? I have, I have free speech rights. Well, both the U.S. Constitution and the Connecticut Constitution do contain protections for free speech rights, but generally those only restrict the government from censoring speech in the workplace. It generally does not uh, restrict the private sector from telling people to be quiet, not to speak about certain things. Now, at it's not as simple an answer as that. However, uh, the state constitution does have, uh, actually state statutes, uh, has a, a provision that does protect employees in the private sector, their right to free speech. But as long as it doesn't disrupt the workplace or run counter to the employer's interests in running an efficient, productive work environment. So as soon as the speech uh, disintegrates into some type of conflict, disruptive, distracting uh, levels, uh, et cetera, like that, an employer could step in and say, enough, stop. Yeah, I was just going to follow up on that. So if a, an employer, if one of their employees came up to them and said, you know, so-and-so was talking about, you know, this certain political topic or a particular candidate or someone in office um, and said, you know, I was distracted or, you know, threatened or disturbed in some sort of way. Yeah. What could that, what steps could that employer take, you know, cause you don't want to silence your employees. Um, but how do you, how do they mitigate that? Well, and that's where I was going to go that it's, it's not a simple answer to say, uh, employers have the relative broad right to say, shut up. You can't talk about those things. Um, Areas where an employer could get into trouble with that is naturally, I think, given the issues that we're dealing with politically, uh, we're dealing with issues about immigration, uh, gender, um, economic disparities, pay equity, uh, things like that, healthcare, all of which easily transfer over to a conversation on subjects that could reflect either a hostile environment based on expressions of intolerance um, or 
a discomforting environment based on comments about affili- strong affiliations with certain beliefs or lifestyles uh, that, that could create an unwelcome, hostile atmosphere for individuals who are members of that group that's being openly criticized, uh, welcomed or, or unwelcomed, uh, things like that. So um, it, it can easily drift over into areas that can be problematic. One other area where uh, an employer could cross a line and uh, trigger some legal issues is under the National Labor Relations Act, there's a provision that says employees have the right to converse with each other about terms and conditions of employment. And that's even in a non-union work setting. So employees have the right to get together and, and, and banter and, and, and uh, exchange views about what a great place it is to work, what a lousy place it is to work, how little they're getting paid, how benefits stink, how their manager is an idiot, and, and things like that. And th- those are all expressions that are protected statements by employees because they relate to terms and conditions of employment. And employees have the right under the National Labor Relations Act to freely express their opinions, either pro or con or in a confrontational way. Um, The limits uh, are are defined largely by, are are they being so disruptive that they're not doing their job? They're on the clock. They're supposed to be making widgets. They're supposed to be speaking to customers. And instead, they're, they're talking about what a lousy place it is to work. An employer could discipline those folks for not doing their jobs. We got a question uh, concerning the holidays that, ref- you know, are religious in some sort of way. I'm thinking Secret Santa or other Christmas. Christmas related um, parties that are heavily Christmas focused, maybe. And not on other, you know, other holidays um, that people may uh, celebrate themselves or observe. So how do how do employers get around that without, you know, offending anyone or making it, you know, non-denominational or, you know, even just calling it Festivus for the rest of us? Not, not, not a totally made up question. Uh, the, these issues do arise. And I, I've actually had inquiries about uh, the uh, political correctness and propriety of having a secret Santa gift exchange or an ugly Christmas sweater contest uh, or, or simply the foods that are served uh, at, at various festive occasions that naturally arise this time of the year. Um, I, I, I think sometimes we go too far with these things, but at the same time, we do have to have our, our fingers on the pulse of our workforce and understand the sensitivities of some people. Um, certainly open conversations with employees about these uh, types of uh, uh, ventures and, and social bonding activities that take place in the workplace is is a healthy way to kind of dip the toe in the water and, and, and see, is it something that people would be comfortable with or not? Um, I, I know um, a Jehovah's Witness, for example, uh, in a workplace uh, may not feel it's appropriate to have any kind of celebration recognizing some of the life events that, that we naturally go with the flow, whether we're of that religion or of that belief or, or whatever. Uh, but you do have to be respectful for the person who feels uh, they're sitting and doing their work while the rest of the office is drinking eggnog and singing songs. Um, they, they truly feel excluded, possibly. So there needs to be a way in a discussion maybe with that person about uh, what they'd be comfortable with. Um, in other cases, you know, Secret Santa clearly refers First to Santa Claus, who's a, um, you know, some people will say, well, it's a universal figure. Others will say it's a clearly religious figure associated with, with Christmas. And, and so 
Um, interestingly, I, I found a list of alternative titles for the Secret Santa uh, gift exchange that, that someone might have in the workplace. Uh, one was the purveyor of pitiful presents, <laughs> or the mysterious mitten maker, or a bountiful bringer of bling, or a covert workplace gift giver. Oh, um, nice. And, I like and the another bling. was the, uh, the Grinch game. Which initially I thought, well, the Grinch that stole Christmas, uh, but actually Grinch is a Dr. Seuss character. And, and so, you know, that kind of strips away the, the religious side of that. Another was, well, just how about the good old grab bag um, or holiday gift exchange, uh, things like that. I, I, I think in, in any of those cases, you're not taking away the enjoyment that some people have with exchanging gifts and, and injecting some sometimes rather cynical and, and uh, trash-talking humor into the, the selections uh, can be a lot of fun. Um, and I think most people will go with the flow with those kinds of things. And, uh, but, but again, an open conversation with, with people about uh, their comfort level with that and, and a sincere solicitation of any ex feelings of discomfort and, and the willingness to accommodate those who, who might express uh, a feeling that it's going a little bit too far. Um, on the ugly Christmas sweater side, um, they are truly ugly. So I, I, I think uh, e even the non-Christians would, would probably have a lot of fun gawking at, at some of the styles that people will show up at work in. And there's so many options these days on the internet. You can really find a sweater for everybody. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. And but, just, uh, you know, another uh, issue that I, touched on briefly, or you may have raised it, Shannon, the, uh, the menu that's selected, um, you know, a little bit of booze is okay. As long as there's some care in its dispensing and, and, and how much people imbibe and, and, and things like that. At the same time, there's some people who either because of medical conditions, they're recovering alcoholic or religious, uh, beliefs don't believe in alcohol. So, uh, it doesn't mean that they get the veto power over the menu but there should be non-alcoholic drinks readily available and not in a ostentatious or singling out manner. Uh, same with uh, certain meats that might be served uh, at this time of the year. Some people who don't believe in eating, eating meat uh, or have other dietary restrictions, uh, things like that. So um, just areas to be cautious about, not to stifle the cheer that hopefully everyone experiences this time of the year, uh, but to avoid stepping on some toes. And I think part of that, you know, at least here at CBA, when we're planning some of our bigger holiday office events, we make sure to have a diverse committee who's got input on that and making mm -hmm. sure we invite the whole office to be part of it if they would like to. So I think that's an important. Yeah. yeah so that, that, it's all about inclusive, inclusivity. Inclusivity right. and, and, and the planning process. Uh, yeah. I think that that can be helpful and, and being receptive to fine tuning it for next year. Um, you know, a, a, a safety issue that comes up. I mentioned uh, drinking too much. Um, companies that, uh, you know, sometimes I go out and I do training sessions at companies this time of the year and I leave and they say, thanks a lot. We're canceling a booze contract. Um, and, and a little bit of beer and wine sometimes, or maybe some champagne is an entirely appropriate social gesture in many workplaces, not all. Uh, but there should be care taken, whether it's an in-house event or something held at a, at a uh, commercial facility. Uh, some care should be taken with some thoughtful conversation or, or consideration beforehand. Uh, how are we going to dispense? How are we going to limit how much people drink? And some good communication beforehand to tell employees, we're, we're inviting you to come and relax. We're not asking you to do any work. It is a social occasion to get to know your coworkers, uh, but 
keep in mind you are still at work. And, and so people shouldn't feel free to consume more than is appropriate. Companies should have clear policies that specify just that. And I always recommend that uh, someone in management uh, put their heads together with some colleagues and, and have a serious conversation. What are we going to do if someone drinks too much? How are we going to intervene? Uh, there needs to be sort of a SWAT team of sorts ready to swoop in um, and, and safely get someone home. Um, interrupt uh, their consumption and recognize that they're not going to be in the rational, completely rational frame of mind at that moment. And, and the importance is to interrupt, get them home safely, discuss it and on, on another date, uh, but just to ensure uh, health and safety of everyone concerned. Um, and, and by all means, don't send them out the door and say, you've had enough, go home and watch them get in their car you know, and drive away. down the road. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's liability for the company that, that pushes a dangerous person out onto the roads like that. Um, and one suggestion I've made over the years, which I've never had to implement myself, but I've heard it works. Uh, if a company has someone who has clearly drank too much, is incapacitated and is feeling no pain, is, is full of bluster and threatening and, you know, you can't tell me what to do. All right, I'll leave. And, and, and they threaten to walk out. Tell them, we, we're not going to tackle you. Uh, but if you walk out the door, we're going to call 911 immediately and identify for the police who you are, the vehicle you're driving, the direction you're going in. And if you want to deal with the police in that situation, it's your call. Otherwise, please work with us so we get you home safely and we'll talk about it tomorrow. Yeah. And, and that, that has, I've heard, take, takes the wind out of the person's sails and, and again, ensure safety. I can imagine. So some uh, another question we got in uh, is about, you know, this time of year, it's getting snowy. We've had our first snow. You know, some offices may consider closing early or delayed. Um, and what what are kind of the, the rules around, you know, closing early versus having somebody work from home on those kind of days or sending people home early? Yeah, companies struggle with that a lot because um, it's a, a, a very val uh, variable and fluid situation. And individuals themselves have uh, dramatically differing uh, comfort levels with traveling through the snow and icy weather and, and, and things like that. So um, under the, the basic wage wage an hour or wage payment laws, uh, if it's an hourly non-exempt employee, they're only entitled to be paid for time that they actually work. So if a company shuts down for the day uh, simply because the weather is too bad and they, they don't want to bother starting up the machines or turning the lights on, uh, they're worried not enough people will come in or they're not going to get calls from customers because of the weather, uh, those employees, those non-exempt employees are, are not entitled to be paid for that day. Uh, the company can allow them to uh, use any accrued paid time off benefits that they have. Um, the company can choose to pay them gratuitously out of new money, as, as I like to call it, um, and accommodate them in that fashion. Uh, but if, if there's no work uh, made available that day and no one comes in, it's a shutdown day. Uh, it's unfortunate because it does sometimes deprive people of a day's wages. And, and so, again, companies will sometimes... Um, uh, assist employees with with additional pay during those days, but you know if the widgets aren't being made for sale, uh, billable hours aren't being generated for clients, um, revenue is not coming in, and that can create uh, some some difficulty there. If the company stays open 
uh, and uh, advises employees, if you choose to stay home because of concern over safety, uh, that's fine. We'll respect your your anxieties over, over traveling, uh, but we're going to be open and anyone who comes in will get paid. Those who choose to stay home, again, can, can, use, can take it as a personal day or a paid vacation day so that they'll get compensation for that time. Yeah. So in that situation, if an office does stay open um, and a, an employee decides, you know, I'm not going to risk it, I'm going to stay home if they live far away or if the weather changes, what if that person can do their job from home? you know, how does that conversation happen between the employee and the managers? Yeah, that's, and, and I, I don't want to say recent, but o- over the last maybe decade or so, that's clearly an option that's available with, with the, the uh, robust connectivity that we have through uh, the remote workstations and, and things like that. Um, and, and something that an employer needs to be cautious about because uh, who of us can resist checking email? Uh, if we have work emails coming in on our personal cell phones, uh, by doing so, um, the, the, the approach the labor department's taken is if, if it's no more than two, three minutes, just checking real quickly and not really doing anything, that's not checking in at work. That's what they, there's a Latin term they use, de minimis, meaning it's a minimal degree of contact with the workplace. So they don't consider the person to be clocking in and going on the clock. On the other hand, if the person is checking an email and, uh, you know, these tiny little cell phones are powerful computers, uh, they can do research, they can um, access documents, uh, they can forward them to people, and then ultimately get on the get on the phone itself and actually speak to another person, that's checking in and actually performing work, which would trigger an entitlement on their part and an obligation on the employer's part for the person to be paid for the amount of time that they're spending. So if an employer is going to uh, have people remain at home on those types of days, uh, the employer should be assertive in guiding the standards that are going to apply. Um, You're not permitted to do work because we don't feel the activity you'll engage in is profitable enough for us to pay you, or you are free to do some work if uh, there's a matter that you're in the midst of and and out of respect for our customer, we'd like you to get back to them, but you do need to keep track of the amount of time that you're spending on that uh, so that we can record that as working time and properly pay the person. Now that's only speaking about situations where the company may not open at the beginning of the day. Oftentimes people get to work in the morning and the weather turns bad later in the day. And, and uh, people are doing less and less work and more and more time staring out the window and conversing with each other. It's looking really bad. You know, <laughs> I, I've, leave. Been, I've been guilty of that. Me yeah. too. Yeah. And that's actually what I was just going to ask you. Uh, what do companies need to know about making that call? So say, you know, maybe it starts snowing really hard. Like, do you, do you send people home in the middle of the, the snowing really hard? Do you have liability if they crash and you didn't let them home earlier? Like, what, Well, well I, I think it's, it's rare that a, a weather condition arises so suddenly that essentially you've got to do a shelter in place. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> decision. Um, but um, it, it is wise for an employer to be sensitive to uh, their geographic location, where employees live. I used to work with a woman who lived in Waterbury and, and, and she used to joke about it all the time. She goes, three flakes and the city shuts down. It's a very hilly city. And, and, and so it can be much more hazardous for people who live in that area. And, and it would be wise for an employer to uh, use some discretion um, in knowing where people work and suggesting to those who have a longer travel or live in an area that's 
you know, you go up to the northwest hills of Connecticut, uh, you know, it may be raining here in Hartford. Uh, up there, they've got three inches of snow already. And, and, and so to be sensitive to those folks and say, do you want to leave early? Usually it's those folks who will say, no, thanks. I got a four wheel drive with big knobby <laughs> tires. I love driving in the snow. They're prepared for it. Um, but uh, many times an employer will say anyone who wants to leave for, for their own personal safety and comfort uh, is, is free to do so. Uh, we'll either allow you to tap into your paid time off benefits if you want to be paid or we'll put you off the clock when you leave. And, and it's a shortened workday and, and a diminished paycheck for, for those folks. Those who stick around will pay you for the balance of the day that you're here. Um, and um, hopefully you'll get some work done and not stare out the window quite as much as, as you might otherwise do. Now, for exempt employees, those who are on a fixed weekly salary, uh, what the law says for those folks is that they're entitled to be paid their full weekly salary uh, as long as they work any time at all during the course of a week. And there are limited circumstances when an employer can reduce their paycheck. Uh, one is where they take a personal day, uh, a full day off. You can reduce the check in full day increments only. You can't cobble together portions of a day and pay only for half a day, four hours, three hours, two hours. Uh, generally, it's only in full day chunks. So if a an exempt employee calls in in the morning and says, the weather's really bad, I'm gonna take a day off. And the employer says, that's all right, we're closed anyway. In a case like that, there's no work provided, so the person gets their full paycheck for the week. Uh, if on the other hand, the employer says, okay, you can stay home, but we're open, then that's a personal day the person is taking, and the employer could, if they chose, deduct uh, a full day, 20% or one-fifth of their paycheck uh, for, for the week. Um, similar, well, well, in contrast, if the, if the business shuts down early, uh, in the middle of a day, the exempt employees would get paid for the full day. Um, there's some uncertainty how the Labor Department deals with this, but I think in most cases it would be permissible on those partial days uh, for an employer to still pay the exempt employee their full weekly pay, but charge the portion of the day the person is not working against their accrued PTO time. There's a little bit of controversy over that with the Labor Department. I'll wait for a call from the Labor Department to set me straight on that. But I've advised employers that that is a permissible step to take if they choose to. Great. Well, that was really interesting. Yeah, I learned so much. Me too. Especially about snow days. I know. Well, we have uh, snow. We're recording this on a Tuesday and we have snow coming. Tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning. During the commute, so. Yeah, we'll see how yeah that I've, is. I've got an important meeting to go to, so <laughs> <laughs> concerned about getting there. I hope there. you get got those snow tires on. Yeah. <laughs> no, just leave early and drive slowly. Yes, yes. Uh, well, thank you so much for joining us, Mark. We hope uh, to do this with you again. Yeah, and uh, happy holidays. Yeah, happy I hope holidays. everyone has a happy holiday season. Nice yes. and neutral there. Yes, nice and neutral. <laughs> yes, and uh, be safe out there, both driving and drinking. Yes. yes. Don't do the same together. And of course, if there's any other questions about these things, they, again, they can call you on the HR hotline, 860-244-1900. Yes. And they can tweet at you as well. Yep. At HR hotline. And I enjoy the crazy questions. Keeps my life interesting. <laughs> and I and it keeps me educated because quite frankly, we're, 
Uh, I, I don't want to say we're in an ivory palace here or a bubble, uh, but we're, we're not out on the shop floor or in the offices actually doing the work and dealing with these problems. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I truly do relish uh, telling, giving someone advice and then hanging up the phone and saying, good luck, I hope it works. Uh, but, but it is a difficult task to implement some of my advice sometimes. And um, I, I do appreciate the, uh, uh, the goodwill of the people that I talk to, the appreciation I get from them, and, and also the intriguing situations that they're struggling with that I get to talk about. Well, yeah. great. Well, thank you. Thanks so much, Mark. So BizCast listeners, we have some very sad news to share. Um, Alex Page Hatley is going to be leaving us at CBIA uh, this week. So uh, this episode is her last episode and I'm very sad about it. (laughs) I'm very sad too. This has been so much fun. I've learned so much. I feel like doing this podcast has been just like a great new experiment for CBIA. And so, you know, I look forward to hearing you and your guest hosts in the future, Shannon. And thank you to all our listeners and to everyone we've interviewed. It's, it's been a great time. Yeah, definitely. You've been a great co-host and you've helped me learn. We've learned together how to put this podcast back together and um, getting the great interviews we've had, all the places we've gone. So yep. Um, yeah, so we'll miss you, but this isn't goodbye. You're not going far. No, I'm not going far. I'm going actually to a member company. I won't say who, but um, you know, maybe I can come on as a guest in the future. Yes, and uh, <laughs> give us a tour of uh, that member company potentially. Uh, of course, of course. Awesome. Well, uh, to all of our listeners, thank you so much for listening this season. We'll be back in January with brand new episodes and uh, happy holidays uh, and happy new year. Yeah, happy new year. Thanks. 